A very warm welcome to all our cliffcentral.com listeners today. You are hearing the voice of Professor David Black, and our program is entitled Looking Up with David Black. Of course, there are multitudes of ways of looking up. One can look up at the night sky. One can look up at the microcosm. One can look up at the macrocosm. There are just so many multitudes of domains in which you and I can look up. One of the persons whom I regard as really one of the planet's foremost thinkers, scenario planners, and futurists, people who try and understand different trends in the marketplace and in the corporate sector and in your world is Clem Sunter. Now, Clem, of course, needs no introduction. He's one of South Africa's foremost and uh, most famous uh, businessmen. Of course, he used to be chairman of the Anglo-American Chairman's Fund. And so it is an absolute joy today on looking up with David Block to have Clem Sunter with us via telephonic link. And Clem, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you, uh, David. I only, only hope I can lift, uh, sort of, you know, lift myself up to the elevation that you have used in your promotion. <laughs> well, I am sure you can. You know, you and I know each other a grand number of years, and I just know that people are actually, their ears are itching with uh, answers from you today because they just know that when you articulate your thoughts and speak forth your words, somehow wisdom flows forth as a river. Thank you, David. I'd like to begin... By asking you this, we have a tremendous number of listeners, perhaps under the age of 25, on this radio broadcast. And it's very important, I think, for someone at the age of 25 or under to perhaps ask this question. Here I am, say, sitting in Soweto, or here I am sitting in Kaya I have a matric. But I realize that the days of me securing a job uh, in the corporate sector, meaning large corporate business, such as Anglo-American, where you worked so many years, those days are largely past. What advice, Clem, would you give to someone listening to your voice right now? Yeah, I would, I would uh, say, uh, David, that the most important um, thing is to say to young people that instead of finding a job, you have to create a job uh, these days because the nature of work has changed. Yes. And whereas in the 90s and 1960s and 1970s, when you know um, people my age were looking for jobs, yes, there was a civil service that you could join, yes. and there were big businesses like Anglo American and many others that you could join. Yes. The whole world of work has changed, and indeed, most large companies now subcontract virtually all their non-core activities to small business. 
Yes. And secondly, technology has driven a stake through many jobs. Yes. Uh, through automation. Yes. And around the world, the youth unemployment rate is at record highs. Absolutely. Even in places like Spain and Italy, it's sitting at around 50%, which is like ours. Yes. But even in, in a really successful economy like the UK, it's, it's around about 25%. So there is this terrible phenomenon that schools and universities are teaching young people for the job market that existed 50 years ago. Yes. And not the job market of today, where you have to be an entrepreneur, you have to... You have to create your own brand. Think of a, a product which you can turn into a commercial, um, a commercial proposition and then obviously go out and market it. And unfortunately, schools do not teach those kinds of skills to kids. Now, Kim, could you give me an example? Because you meet multitudes of people uh, in your daily walks with all your different talks and so forth. Could you give our listeners one or two examples of people, say, in Soweto or Kaya and uh, of people who've dreamt to become entrepreneurs and who actually have and who actually have been able to market their product successfully? Well, you know, the, the, the best example I can quote you um, is... Uh, recently, there was a poll done by Forbes magazine, which is probably one of the most influential business magazines in America. Yes. And they polled uh, businesses all over America on who the most creative, entrepreneurial American alive today is. Yes. And they've also done another poll independently. And in both polls, who came up number one? Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. who was educated at Pretoria Boys High, mm. matriculated from Pretoria Boys High. He then went to America, and I've forgotten which university he was at, but yes. he founded uh, PayPal, um, which is a way of you know using currency on the Internet. With a it's a wonderful friends. way, yes. Then he, then he um, thought, gosh, you know, the electric car is going to be... Um, you know, the car of the future because of climate change and trying to cut down on carbon emissions. So he's produced this beautiful car called the Tesla, yes. which um, I actually recently saw in Vancouver. And yes. it's, I mean, it looks like an Aston Martin and it's very, very popular in America. Yes. He then went on to, uh, to, <laughs> to, to uh, uh, produce the first commercial space flight to uh, the International Space Station and is now designing a space ferry which can be reused for astronauts to get to the station. And lastly, he's designing a super tube between San Francisco and Los Angeles <laughs> which, uh, which is uh, where trains propelled by electromagnetic propulsion yes. will actually get from one city to the other in 40 minutes. Yes. And it's 600 kilometers between the two cities. So this guy is regarded as the most creative, entrepreneurial American um, alive today. He was born and bred in South Africa. Yes. And my point is that there are many other young people yes. like that. Yes. I quote Theobalela Zuza uh, constantly, who was brought up in Antarctica yes. and who went on to design a rocket fuel for which NASA have now 
uh, named a minor planet after him next to Jupiter. That's correct. It's called the Ciazuza planet. Yes. He's had a phenomenal um, academic record um, at uh, Harvard. I believe yes. he's back in the country teaching at St. John's. But, you know, we do produce these guys. Yes. And every yes. young person should take note that, yes. you know, they may not be as spectacularly successful as, no. as, as no. these people. But, yes. you know... This country is full of talent, and they've got to start thinking in a creative way, like the two examples I've quoted. Yes. I think that the key point is one's got you know, millions of people in South Africa, and yet you only hear of one or two names hitting that sort of ilk, cut yeah. with that sort of cloth. What is your advice, Clem, to our multitudes of listeners who perhaps are dreaming, but not at at that sort of extraordinary level of creativity. Well, let me give you a very good example. You'll really love this one, David. Yes. I was doing some work in Namibia in Vintuk uh, yes. not so long ago, and yes. I did a talk in Katatura Township yes. next to Vintuk, and it was to a bunch of school kids. And um, I said to them, you know, uh, the world of work has changed. How many of you are actually running businesses at the moment? And the yes. 15-year-old stuck up his ta hand and said, I am. So I said, what do you produce? He says, I produce toilet paper. My word. So I said, how do you, <laughs> how on earth do you compete with the big guys yes. like Kleenex and yes. others? Yes. He said, because I noticed that in America, they produce a kind of Disney uh, toilet paper where you can have Mickey Mouse or you know, uh, any of the other cartoon characters on the, on, the, on the paper. And I thought to myself, mm. you know, it must be quite an easy thing to do to now, with, particularly with the internet, to put yes. photos on uh, toilet paper. So I now run a business where I go and say to clients, who is your worst enemy? <laughs> and, and, uh, and then, you know, I can produce <laughs> toilet paper <laughs> I love that I think that is just that face you know it sort of brings one down to earth with a bang from but the experience <laughs> but that's the kind of brilliant idea yes you see that young people uh, need and um, so it can be a very simple idea but it just needs the right sort also of marketing does it not Claire? yeah I'm 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 I'm, I'm you know, my, my point is this, is that, you know, for a lot of people, it's down to just having that jump of imagination, which, which, which can take a, a, a product that exists at the moment yes. and just turn it into something which <laughs> is, you know, customized and yes. appeals to the market. Yes. And it's not that you have to have huge technical knowledge because there's a lot of that available on the internet of course and and you know the one thing in africa which has really taken off is yes. smartphones and using yes. smart apps yes so you know one doesn't have to be a nobel prize winner nowadays you've just got to think of that kind of slightly different variation yes. on a product yes which can really appeal to a lot of people, yes. just like this 15-year-old school kid in, in Katatura Township. I love that story. <laughs> you are busy lis listening to Professor David Black. Our program is entitled Looking Up. 
with David Block, and we are speaking to one of South Africa's legendary giants in the field of strategic planning, scenario thinking, a man who has literally left his global footprint on the planet Earth, Clem Sunter. We, you can reach me by telephone on 0861-555-189. And, of course, you can reach Clem at that number as well. Dial 0861-555-189. Our Twitter feed is at cliffcentral.com. On Instagram, you can reach Clem and I at cliffcentral. On Facebook, you can reach, reach us on cliffcent, at cliffcentral. And the WeChat ID is Cliff Central. My personal webpage is www.davidblock.co.za with a Twitter handle at Starry Galaxy Man. We now listen to Enya paint the sky with stars. I happened to be sitting at the Senate House of the University of the Vatersrand just before coming into Cliff Central Studio, and uh, suddenly my book started rattling, and my there was obviously some sort of tremor as my uh, veritable chair started moving. And of course, Clem, I'm sure you felt this as well, and that really leads me onto a theme which many people ask me about. And that is, what is your personal take on climate change? It's obviously a very 
hot topic uh, punted by Al Gore and so many others. And there's just so many diverse opinions. I was in Norway recently and people there were very anti-climate change. And then you meet groups who are very for climate change. What is your perception, Clem, of the changes in our atmosphere above? Well, David, I I remember having a conversation about two years ago uh, with a young woman, uh, American woman, who um, had been heavily involved with scenario planning. Um, I think at U.S. Homeland Security, and you know, I said to her, "What what 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 are the kind of threats that you are currently kind of exposing the American president to?" And the first threat was terrorism, which was very obvious. But the second one just nearly made me fall off my chair because it was climate change. So I said, you're kidding, <laughs> yes. you know, that it's a security threat. Yes. And she said, absolutely. She said, nature, you know, has turned against us in a way that if it was a human enemy, we would be taking major preparations <laughs> to, to try and, and, and ward it off. And she said there are three flags for climate change, which, yes. I, which I've remembered. Yes. The first one was um, that you are seeing gradual warming up of, of the Earth's atmosphere. Yes. There's just so much uh, evidence which they are obviously following now. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, not just, not just through thermometers, but also through looking at... Uh, ice caps on the yes. tops of mountains yes. and that they're shrinking. Yes. And she said, you know, the first country that will probably be hit is Australia. Mm-hmm. And last year, Australia had the hottest year on record. Yes, I and remember that, that. And that really counts because water is a scarce resort. And, you know, the evaporation rate in Australia must be rising. And that's going to cause terrible problems for people in the center of Australia because... You know, they don't have access to desalinated water produced uh, from the from the sea. Yes. And yet the Prime Minister of Australia has walked away from climate change legislation. Isn't that when, extraordinary? When his nation is yes. under threat. Yes. The second flag, she said, was rising sea levels. Yes. And she said again, you're beginning to see that. Um, in New Orleans, you know, there are certain areas which... I think they haven't rebuilt the levees because they just say that it's too expensive to continue protecting uh, these these areas because, you know, the sea level has, has risen. And Miami is now the, 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 probably the biggest city in America under threat because there's a tidal ball around Miami and there's some very, very expensive um, suburbs right on the uh, coast. Oh, amazing. And Venice. And Venice has had, you know, one of its highest watermarks ever. And, of course, you know, Venice has a flood every year, but yes. it's now getting very, very serious yes. in, in, in Venice. So that was her second flag. But it was the third one that really, really reminded me um, of, of the kind of stuff that she had put forward. Yes. It was the increasing frequency and intensity of extreme weather events. Mm. Elaborate, and, please. And that one, she said, is going to change the American public's mind. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They had terrible twisters in Oklahoma last year. That's correct. They had them in Illinois in, in November, very unseasonable. And this year, they've had them in Nebraska. Yes. And 80% of California is actually under extreme drought conditions as we speak. It's not really talked about in the media. No, no, no. That's kept quite 
but right, it's, but, right. but, it's, but it's, it means, for example, that they're tracking the salmon up the river <laughs> because yes. there's not enough water for them to swim up. That's the river. incredible. And you know, Obama has issued an executive order to cut carbon emissions by 30 percent. Yes. Uh, in coal burning power stations by 2030. Yes. Now, no American president would have done that two, two or three years ago. So, yes. you know, for all those climate change denialists, yes. my answer is, sure, it's not like a mathematical truth, 100% probable, but yes. it's probably 95% probable that yes. it's man-made emissions causing climate change. Yes. And with that kind of probability you've actually got to do something about it Absolutely. because we only have one planet. Absolutely. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that these denialists come on so convincingly and so powerfully, and I, of course, am not an expert in climate change, far from it, but I sit back and I just think to myself, the evidence is before one's eyes, as you say, the frequency of extreme events, uh, weather patterns, uh, the rising of the levels of the sea in Venice and elsewhere. It's just before your eyes. But there's obviously, uh, Clem, you are very aware of agendas. Uh, and there's obviously some sort of agenda, I believe, amongst the denialists to perhaps want to keep on pumping out all these poisonous substances. What are well, your thoughts on that? Well, absolutely, uh, David. It's, it's, it's essentially people who are making money out of fossil fuels like oil. Um, and, and, you know, want to make sure that the industry is not in any way threatened, uh, by, um, having to cut back on, on carbon emissions. Yes. And then you just have a whole bunch of people who just, you know, like being, um, sort of in a denialist mode because they get a lot of airtime. Absolutely. But that's what really messes me up about a lot of the media, particularly in places like the UK. Yes. Because they don't present the sort of scientific evidence between the case for and against climate change when these two people debate. So it's almost as if they're debating as equals. Yes. But actually, you know, there's just so much evidence now in favor of climate change. And yes. I'm afraid to say that it was exactly like that with HIV AIDS. Yes. Uh, you know, 10 or 15 yes, years ago true. with people that's denying true. that it actually mm -hmm. existed. And, you, 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 you know, there are some things where... You've just got to say, you can't get 100% probability. Yes. You've just got to go on the evidence. And yes. the probability is now high enough for us to take it very seriously because as one person said, there is no planet B. <laughs> that is correct. Now, Klim, how many governments in Europe, for example, uh, are actually taking this warning that there's no planet B very seriously? Well, the answer is Obama is the first person out of the out of the blocks. Yes, um, there certainly has been talk in the UK, and you know, um, old David Cameron has, has 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 probably been greener than any previous Tory prime minister. But yes, he's sort of gone back on his words because he sort of sees that he's he's it's not a vote catcher, and certainly in Europe, I haven't heard one mention of, of, of climate change. Mm. The only people mm. that seem to be serious are the Scandinavians, mm. and they've been serious for a long time. Mm. And funny enough, old Arnold Schwarzenegger yes. in, 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 um, in, in California, California. Yes. Uh, was, was serious about it um, and issued certain state regulations to reduce carbon emissions. So there are little pockets around the world yes. 
where people are taking it seriously. But I think we're going to have to wait for the next summit on climate change, yes. like the one we had in Durban yes, and, yes, and Bali. Yes. For I think it'll, you'll see the first proper discussion on what we are going to do with it in order to mitigate the effect as well as yes. to adapt to yes. the uh, changes. Yes. Of course, I'm very aware, Clem, as an applied mathematician and astronomer, that when it comes to an agenda driven financially, it can be very difficult for people to even begin to listen to rational argument regarding climate change. When you have some of these huge oil companies involved with billions of dollars, it becomes so hard for any intellectual uh, substance to enter the neurophysiological process because money, the agenda is money-driven. And that is my concern here, is it's not as if you've got one group of people who believe scenario A and another scenario B. It's just money for the sake of it. And that does concern me at any summit. Yeah, but, and this is the big point, and that's why she felt that third flag was more significant than the gradual rise in temperature, the gradual rise in sea level. Because as we know, a frog in a gradually... <laughs> yes. temperature of boiling water yes. dies because it doesn't yes. see the graduation. Yes. But she felt that third flag of serious shocks yes. um, will make the yes. politicians sit up. And yes. that's when they will start saying, we have to do things that are not in the interest of big business. Yes. And, you know, I mean, it's not that, for example, the tornadoes, twisters in the U.S. have you know, they've been around a long time. It's just that their frequency and, yes. and intensity yes. Yes. are at a level where, you know, half half small towns are wiped out. It's not one or two pylons. And Absolutely. It's, it's, it's kind of a whole suburb. And, yes. you know, that kind of damage yes. um, is definitely, I think, uh, changing people's mind. But, I, but you're quite right. I'm sure the Republicans in America yes. are still stuck in the... Uh, the, the, the climate denialist yes, mode. Absolutely. Of course, Clem, you know, you touched on HIV. And, of course, right in the news I was watching last night on the BBC was uh, the Ebola virus. Yep. And there, of course, one's just got such an extremely serious scenario. What alternative scenario roads do you see with this extreme threat uh, stemming in Africa but apparently spreading? Yeah, you know, I, I've forgotten what the number of uh, cases are, but I think the previous peak about uh, seven or eight years ago was 400, and now it's 1,600. So, yeah, this is definitely a much, uh, um, um, uh, you know, by, by far the worst outbreak of, of Ebola. And, and as a scenario planner, I've always said that one of the major threats to the world, which you can't constantly be on the lookout for, is another global epidemic. Uh, yes. either caused by a completely new virus or one that is, you know, gradually mutated into a form that is resistant to current uh, antibiotics. Yes. And we had SARS, you know, which was the respiratory disease in China yes. uh, caused by avian flu. And, and that, that, you know, has never sort of really uh, gone around the world like Spanish flu did after the First World War and mm. which killed actually more people than in the First World War. Mm. So... You know, 
I, I don't know whether Ebola, because I think it's essentially more of a contact uh, that is correct. Than, yes. than, than a yes. one that, that is infectious. But of course, it has a very high fatality rate. But the one very small flag, positive flag going up at the moment is that this American um, has been treated with a completely new drug. He was about to die when he was in Africa. Yes. And he actually walked to the plane hmm. um, about 24 hours after being administered this completely new drug. Yes. And no one has ever done that before. Yes. And now he's back in America and being treated. But just maybe, uh, and obviously I'm watching CNN on this one, there may be some form of breakthrough yes. in terms of uh, a drug to treat the disease. You are listening to Professor David Block, looking up with David Block, interviewing one of South Africa's legendary scenario thinkers and planners, Clem Sunter. You can reach us by telephone on 0861-555-189, on Twitter at cliffcentral.com, on Instagram, cliffcentral, on Facebook, cliffcentral, on WeChat ID, cliffcentral, and personally, www.davidblock.co.za. We're having callers calling in or we chatting us. And uh, here is one from Duncan. And Clem Duncan asks this question. He says, what are your thoughts on weather-altering technology, which some say is the cause of some tsunami? Um. You know, in, 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 in the, the, sorry, are we, are we talking about earthquakes? Uh, I think he's, I think Duncan is simply referring to any technology, anything we send up into space, which might have an effect on weather patterns. He speaks of HAARP in his message, but I'm not familiar with that term. I'm not sure if you are. Yeah. I'm, you know, certainly all the attempts to change weather so far in terms of seeding clouds yes. and yes. Um, you know creating rain or you know it, it really you know the, 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 the jury is completely out on on any technology at the moment being being effective on yes. that front. I haven't certainly heard yes. of of anything that can be done to you know, be sent up into no. the atmosphere to reduce the carbon no. content because we're talking huge figures here. Of I mean, course. of I, course, I, 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 I think the figure at the moment for, for example, um, America is seven or eight billion tons of CO2 a year, and That's China, incredible. China's about the same. Mm. And I think overall, it's sort of 30 billion tons. So, okay, in parts per million, it's still quite small. Mm. But it's an enormous quantity. You know, Clem, I was recently in Beijing, and as I was being driven around, the visibility was probably a few hundred meters. In other words, I couldn't see the, a car a few hundred meters uh, yonder. And that is just showing you how extreme the problem is in densely populated areas. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've only been to Beijing once, but... What really struck me, and, and from all the photographs that, that I've seen subsequently, um, and of any sort of golf tournament in China, is that the sky is silver. Absolutely it is. <laughs> you don't see a blue sky. And the only time, according 
uh, <laughs> to people who live in Hong Kong yes. that the sky turns blue is yes. when you have the Chinese holiday. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. And so, yeah, um, you know, I, I, I uh, wrote a book with Brian, uh, uh, Brian Huntley and Roy Siegfried, two yes. well-known yes. South African environments, mm-hmm. environmentalists, where we said that, you know, for the young people who are listening to have a rich heritage, we've got to find a balance between environmental health, economic development, and human uh, quality of life. And yeah, at the moment, unfortunately, the sort of growth paradigm, that you've got to have growth at all costs, absolutely, is, is still dominant in everybody's mind. And everybody praises China for having the 8% to 10% economic growth rate. But what they don't show are the pictures of the silver sky. Well, that is right. You know, Clem, for example, I often take walks at the Walter Sisulu National Botanical Gardens, and I'm just amazed at the growth in the area, just in terms of density of buildings. And what concerns one is that the aesthetic beauty of planet A, as you say, there's no planet B, is just uh, raped, if I could use that word, Clem, at all costs. It's raped. Our country gets raped by people who focus on an agenda which is money-driven. That's my personal opinion. Would you agree, Clem? Yeah, it's, 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 it's partially that, but it's partially the fact that as a human species, yes. we have been incredibly successful in a Darwinian sense. Yes. Uh, because in 1900, the average lifespan of, a, of an American and a Brit where they kept records yes. was, I think for a male, around about 42, 43. Yes. Now, by 2000, because of medical advances, that figure had virtually doubled to, I think, around 82 for men and 85 for women. Yes. So, as a species, we've more than doubled our lifespan in Absolutely. 100 years. Mm-hmm. And that, together with natural uh, growth in the population, means we have 7 billion people uh, <laughs> around at the moment yes. with the likelihood that that could grow to you know at an extra billion every 11 years yes um, we could we could be sort of hitting by uh, 2050 you know 10 maybe 10 to 12 billion what a and, scary thought yep. and it is a scary thought because it mm-hmm. is it's a finite planet mm-hmm. and having been mm-hmm. in the mining industry yes. david yes I realized that all the easy-to-find, easy-to-mine, easy-to-treat deposits have been found, mined, and treated. Yes, well said. And we're now into all Mm. those tricky deposits in Mm. the middle of the Amazon jungle, Mm. in the middle of very sensitive environmental areas, where you've got to build big railways, you've got to have new ports, you've got to have all kinds of things. And you realize that actually we are... You know, in that old uh, phrase which was used for a book in the 60s, we we are hitting the limits to growth. Absolutely. I love that. As an applied (laughs) mathematician, the very (laughs) limits, the veritable limits of growth. The limits of growth. And uh, and still, it is the number one factor for success amongst politicians. Even, you know, the ANC here is calling for 6 to 7% economic growth in South Africa and applauding the rest of Africa at 7 to 8%. And then, of course, as I said, China is considered a star. Um, And actually, you know, we're going to have to look at a more uh, balanced model where steady state economies may become the norm you know, in the latter half of the century. Yes, because which the planet be... simply can't 
you know, handle, yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, sort of endless growth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, Clem, of course, focusing on Southern Africa and South Africa in particular, as you know, I was invited to present Nelson Mandela with a piece of the moon rock collected by the Apollo astronauts. And so I happened to be in his actual home in Houghton a couple of times. And what always impressed me about his home was how humbly, how humble he lived. A very, very humble person, as you well know. And he just lived his lifestyle, never to enrich himself, um, but to see. The, I remember he took a cut of one third in salary, as far as I recall, when he was president. Now, Clem, people often, as I travel the globe, people often say to me, well, Professor Block, aren't the warning signs on the wall now that South Africa is just going to fall into a scenario of another Zimbabwe? Now, of course, when we looked at that scenario, Clem, I remember speaking to you at a conference about this just post-1994. It seemed... Um, you know, definitely not. There were just too many controls in place to prevent that happening. And, of course, Mr. Mandela himself was so adamant to drive South Africa onto the international center stage, never enriching himself. But things have changed, you know. I met the late Helen Sosman at Wits just before she died, and I said to her, Helen, how are you? And she said, well, David, here's the answer. I'm well. But the crime is something I never, ever foresaw. So that was Helen just before she died. And I would really like, seeing that the multitudes of our listeners are perhaps 25 and younger, what is their future, Clem? Is there any chance, any chance whatsoever, that a scenario might unfold where South Africa just becomes a Zimbabwe? Um, well, we we have three scenarios, and when I say we, Chantel Ilbury and I, um, she's the co-author of the three books that that uh, that we've written on how to have a mind of a fox. Yes. And um, certainly, um, you know, the the, the 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 probabilities we attach to Premier League, which is staying in the Premier League of Nations. Falling peacefully into a kind of second division where, you know, we, we simply do not actually achieve the kind of material prosperity amongst the large majority of this population that we want to. Yes. And the third scenario is where violence, you know, intervenes and we become a failed state. Yes. And two years ago, we were 70% uh, um, Premier League, 30% second division, zero for failed states. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, with events like Marikana yes. and the tra- tragic uh, killing of those striking miners, and, uh, and, 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 and the much more uh, sort of a, a aggress- aggressive attitude of, 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 of people in terms of trying to resolve problems instead of actually getting together, putting their, 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 their heads together, rather like, unfortunately, what's going on in Israel um, mm-hmm. at, at, mm-hmm. at, at the mm-hmm. moment. We've raised the probability on a failed state to 25%. And you are a lot of people it's... argue that that is far too high and it should mm-hmm. be 10. And we say, absolutely, if you want to say 10, 
um, we 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 can't uh, we 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 can't dispute it with you because it is all about subjective probabilities. Yes. There's no mathematical model yes. through which you can attach a yes. probability to a yes. scenario. But we feel um, that we want to send out a warning sign to South Africa that you know if you're going to have the kind of unrest in the in, in the townships over service delivery, if you're going to have the kind of five-month strikes in the platinum yes. industry, and if you're going to have events like Marikana, then you're going to lose that kind of image we had during the golden age of Nelson Mandela yes. of being the sort of premier nation in Africa. And mm. we could easily slide into mm. a place where, you know, people say we're not going to even look at South Africa mm. because it's now a kind of anarchic and, and very violent and yes. unpredictable country. I mean, that is quite an alarming statistic you give there, Clem. Uh, 25% statistical chance. Yeah, we still chance. give a 50% to staying in the Premier League, and yes. we, we give a 25 to just a peaceful, peaceful sort of decline over a, a long period of yes. time where other African countries like Uganda and, and Nigeria and yes. Ghana just overtake us. So we're still 75% yes. in, a, in a sort of, you know, a, 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 a a kind a of country zone. where we're yes. not going to sort of see that sort of yes. dreadful extreme violence that you've, you've, you've witnessed, as I said, in, in yes. places like the yes. Gaza Strip yes. or Syria yes. or Iraq. Yes. Um, so please, you know, that's why you give probabilities. We're not saying it is going to happen. Yes. We're going to become yes. a failed state. Yes. But we've yes. just said there are certain yes. flags, yes. red flags, yes. Which, yes. which have been rising yes. over the last yes. uh, year or two. Yes. And we must now do everything to keep yes. it down. Yes. And I believe that we're now at the economic crossroads because in 1990 to 94 we had Cadesa 1 and 2 to negotiate a new constitution which led to a proper democracy in South Africa. But we don't have an economy which in any way reflects um, our political democracy. You have at least two-thirds of the population outside the economy. Yes. And so yes. We now do have to concentrate on the subject of economic freedom. So I know I'm sounding like Julius Malema, but <laughs> it's true. Yes, it's yes, true. We, yes, we, 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 we've yes, got to try yes. and improve uh, the, the ability yes. of people in this country to participate in the economy, yes. either through getting a job yes. or through opening a small yes. business. And yes. we cannot have the kind of monopoly situation which... You know, we've had for a hundred years in our economy. Tell me, Kim, do you believe that, I mean, with your, your gargantuan experience in the mining world and industry, do you believe that the Marikana scenario and great tragedy could have been handled completely differently? Well, you know, you know I've obviously been listening to what people have been testifying uh, to at uh, the commission. Yes. And, and and what comes clear to me is that there was, you know, quite a build-up to the actual event where there could have been more intervention. Um, you know, like in the early 90s, you know, when we saw a situation building up in the gold mine, um, you know, I would or, or one of my colleagues would get hold of uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, who was the... General Secretary of the NUM at the time, um, and, and sort of say, what are the kind of things that we can do to diffuse the situation? Yes. And unfortunately, the rela and that's why I was saying earlier on about the red flags, the yes. relationship between yes. 
you know, business uh, managers and bosses and, and the union mm. are simply not like they were in the, um, in the, in the, in the early uh, 1990s. Mm. And, and, but the second thing is obviously the actual tactics on the day. Mm. I mean, I remember somebody saying the difference between the police and the army Yes. Is the police should, should use minimum force <laughs> yes. to settle a situation, yes. whereas an army can use yes. maximum force. Yes. And, you know, we didn't have that graduation of response Yes. where you start with, you know, uh, water cannons and all kinds Absolutely. of tear gas mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then, you you know, the last option you use is, is hard ammunition. Yes. And so, yes. you know, I just hope this commission sort of comes up with some recommendations on both how you defu- diffuse the lead up yes. uh, to, to a kind of Maracana uh, yes. tragedy, yes. Uh, but also obviously on the actual tactics yes. that you should use. Of and, course, of and, course and, one yeah. of the big problems, Clem, is exactly that. When I was at Wits in the uh, apartheid era, the water cannons were used first, and of course after that dreadful um, ammunition and so forth. But um, there are different tactics, aren't there, in trying to defuse these incredibly volatile situations? Yeah, and, 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 and pr- the problem is, and, and this is why, you know, uh, and I know that people argue against uh, Chantel and myself in terms of our probability for a failed state, but it just sees the predisposition <laughs> to, to, to get violent. <laughs> yes, yes. And that, um, that was Helen Sussman's concern is violence and crime and the rise thereof and it's and, and it, again it, this isn't a flag that's just going up in south africa no it's you know i mean just watching what, what what's happened over the last few weeks uh you know in in israel and gaza strip you know you just kind of say this is just awful and unacceptable and people have to get together to actually do something different because it's it's just ghastly here we are so, sort of you know, commemorating the anniversary of the First World War. Yes, that's and right. And everybody's sort of saying Absolutely. how awful it was Absolutely. and how the world, you know, didn't realize that it was entering that First World War yes. in August, uh, well, it was actually July the 28th, but yes. it, it actually yes. started in yes. uh, 1914. And, and then, uh, you know, 10 million combatants were killed. I think 1 million were actually killed in the last uh, seven months of, that's of 1914. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, I kind of say to myself, well, you know, that did happen. It was absolutely ghastly. But what we've now got to do is sort out, <laughs> you know, the places where people, and I'm talking about, you know, ordinary civilians, children are currently dying. Yes, absolutely. And, and absolutely. so it's not just, you know, I mean, I've, obviously the Gaza Strip is all, on all our minds, but it's equally, um, you know, the possible build-up to... You know, another war because of what's going on in the Ukraine and the shooting down of that airliner and Russia and America now, you know, confronting one another. Absolutely. After the uh, music break, we'll be taking a music break. But after the music break, we'll be asking Clem Sunter, whom I regard as one of the planet's foremost scenario thinkers, to share his thoughts on the conflicts in Israel and also specifically what he mentioned on the U- in the Ukraine. You are listening to Looking Up with Professor David Block. I can be reached on 0861 
Twitter feed is Twitter handle is at cliffcentral.com. On Instagram, you can reach us at Cliff Central. On Facebook, likewise, Cliff Central. The WeChat ID is Cliff Central. My Twitter handle is at Starry Galaxy Man. Back for a music break. Back to Enya. <laughs> Some quite alarming statistics, I believe, uh, concerning South Africa is that there's still a great chance that we can become legends in many different ways. But uh, as a professor of applied maths, I become very alarmed when I hear that there's a quarter, a one in four chance that South Africa might become a failed state. That leads us, every one of us, to take what Clem Sunter is saying to heart and to follow scenarios which are not the low road, but the high road. Of course, Clem, with regard to scenarios, there's just so much focus right now on the extreme tragedies in Israel and in Palestine. I would love you to share your thoughts um, on that with us, please. Well, you know, I, I wrote an article, I think about six months to a year ago, because I'd read about what Albert Einstein um, yes, you know, on Zionism. About, uh, Israel. And gosh, he was not just very bright on relativity and, uh, and, and physics. He was very bright in the political sphere as well. Because he said, there's no way that the situation uh, of Palestine and, and Israel can be settled by politicians. Mm. And he suggested that one set up a forum with academics and lawyers and other prominent uh, representatives of both uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians mm. to actually, you know, negotiate. And when they, when they agreed on a particular clause, that would then be issued into the public domain yes. for public debate and for the politicians mm -hmm. to, to get on the road. Because I bet you that despite the obvious confrontation between the Israeli government and Hamas. There are 
both uh, Israelis and Palestinians at the University of Jerusalem and elsewhere who are just are absolutely appalled at what's happened over the last few weeks. Yes. And who, 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 who would be totally prepared to enter into a constructive conversation yes. on once and for all yes. trying to resolve uh, this conflict. So in other words, uh, Albert Einstein, as I recall in his book on Zionism, was very much for the fact that, as you say, politicians step down or step out. Uh, he really intended to focus on sort of the larger picture of a humanitarian one. Am I correct, Claire? Absolutely. Um, you know, he, he, he basically um, said, and he said it about um, the Second World War too, and, and about the atom bomb and everything else, that you know that that, that, that that once you get into a situation where people and particularly innocent people are killed, you know you, you, you have entered a situation where you're not only affecting the people, obviously the families of of, of, of the victims who are killed, yes. you actually affect the mental state of the people who actually cause the death <laughs> yes. causes the death yes. Yes. so it's 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 you know it's the, the actual action um, has has seriously negative uh, consequences on 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 both sides. It's and, very, it's very interesting, is it not, Clem, that Einstein thought that the solution would come from an academic mind whose mindset's just so different to a political one. Isn't that correct? It is because academics aren't voted into power. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and yes. and the fact is that you can take an independent, bigger picture stance as a, as an academic. Yes. And I just feel that if you could, if you could create that kind of momentum within the sort of you know academic and as I said, possibly other other professions. Yes. In 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 uh, this situation, you 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 would achieve the kind of miracle that we 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 did because. You know, I can tell you when I did the high road, low road yes. in, in, in the mid-80s, mm -hmm. where I said the high road means that the National Party has to negotiate with the ANC. Yes. And, 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 and there's got to be a genuine settlement. You know, the low road is where you just co-opt a bunch of tame black people into a government of national unity, and yes. that will never work. Yes. People said to me, Clem, it will never happen in South Africa. Why is Anglo sending you on the road to... To, to tell this this fairy story. Yes, of course. <laughs> to, to, and it did. It actually happened mm -hmm. by 91, 92. Mm -hmm. And there was mm -hmm. a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that went on in the mid to late 80s, which, to be quite honest, is such a shame, has all disappeared before a historian has really put the story of the transition together. Yes. But that behind-the-scenes stuff then created the... The, 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 the possibility that Mandela could be released in January, sorry, February 1990. Yes. And, of course, the rest is history. And I don't think you've seen that kind of behind-the-scenes stuff uh, in, in Israel. And you're certainly not seeing it in the Ukraine either, where you've just got Mr. Putin on one side, yes. you know, looking at uh, Mr. Obama with and 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 they and they're completely missing each other by yes. interpreting the events yes. in the Ukraine yes. their own way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you have been listening to one of our planet's legendary thinkers and a dear friend of mine, 
uh, Clem Sunter, who, of course, was chairman of um, Anglo-American Chairman's Fund, a highly sought-after thinker, a man who lives at the windswept cutting edge, a man who dreams, a man who takes us to new roads of scenario thinking and scenario planning. On the cliffcentral.com show today, you've been hearing Clem elucidate some key problems, some key scenario challenges with regard, for example, to climate change, with regard to the Ukraine, with regard to Israel and Palestine, with regard to crime in South Africa, with regard to a failed state. But as an astronomer, I like to end on a note of positivism by looking up and hearing for one more time those immortal words of paint the sky with stars. Clem, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, uh, David. And if we all adopt the kind of entrepreneurial mindset of creating something new, um, this country has immense talent. And that's why, on balance, I'm still very positive about its future. Yes. Clem, thank you so much. To end on that positive note resonates within my mind, my being and my spirits.